Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto, Toronto real, real estate. estate. I'm your host, Ben Myers, and guess who's back? Guess who's back? Steve Cameron. I'm back thought, again. I thought you were going full... Uh, you know, Stevie's uh, back. Tell a friend. Guess who's back? Guess who's back? I thought you were like leaving at the height of the Toronto Under Construction podcast. And oh, I was thinking back. about it. I was thinking about it until until Toronto Under Construction could make it on Netflix. <laughs> I was uh, like our own Netflix special. I was thinking about it's, it's coming. So it was a sabbatical. It was, yeah. it was a well, it was a whole day sabbatical. A little sabbatical. Well, you Kids m- back, baby. You you missed out on some fantastic news. Oh yeah. Of our new sponsor for this year. What? Yeah, we got a new sponsor. Yes, and you didn't tr- even tell me. <laughs> the Toronto Under what? Construction Podcast is sponsored by BCGI Barron Consulting Group, an executive search firm dedicated to the real estate industry. Since 1995, Robert Barron and BCGI have completed over 1,000 searches on behalf of developers, investors, occupiers, and lenders across North America. Lenders. That's a good group of folks, I tell you that. Their scope includes acquisitions, development, asset management, finance, corporate real estate, and board directors. BCGI has established partnerships with pension funds, REITs, and fund managers searching for talent, and they are a trusted source for career advice and guidance for real estate professionals in North America. BCGI can be reached at www.bcgi.ca. Wow. Speaking of searches, <laughs> while I was gone, I was searching for a fabulous next guest. A fabulous next guest. And I think I might have found him. Like, All right. Well, why don't you read that box? I, I, I'd love to. Uh, it's going to be a good one here, folks. We've got, uh, we've got the principal and CEO, believe it or not, of Altree Developments. Altree is a real estate development company focusing on residential and hospitality projects that provide unmatched insight, expertise, and service to landmark development projects and iconic communities. Altree has a diverse portfolio of developments ranging from ultra-luxury condominiums to master plan communities and various stages of development. Our guest today, Zev, who I can't wait for you to hear from, is a third-generation real estate developer and stems from a long lineage of Canada's leading developers. His previous experience includes co-founding Marlin Springs Investments and working for Lantera Developments. Welcome to the show, Mr. Zev Mendelbaum. Thanks. A pleasure to be here. I... I can't Happy believe. break up this party. You guys were just like going all out of for like 20 minutes over there. Actually, can you just be quiet? We're not done. Uh, so I'm <laughs> the Blue Jays are starting uh, in April. Yeah, well, I'm yeah, I'm ready for baseball. I'm ready for baseball. Well, let's let's get into it. You have a you have a very interesting backstory. You came from obviously a long line of real estate developers, as we uh, as we talked about. But you studied law and biblical studies at college. Why not the typical MBA at Western or Ivy League school in the U.S.? Oh, you haven't met my family, huh? <laughs> I, I have not. No. No. Sounds 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 like you come from a family that may, that, that may need some uh, background and explaining. So, oh yeah, let's, sure. Let's hear it. You want you want you want like the thirty seconds? No, what no, happened? we want like the. Th- 30 minute. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, so we're I can get seconds. the first half of the story in about an hour and a half. Does that work for everyone? <laughs> we, we can go for, a, we can do a little four hour podcast here. Steve's up I'm going to need some more coffee. Can you send someone to Tim Hortons? <laughs> Joel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Joel. <laughs> no, tell us, listen, you, uh, you, you come from a, a, a deep 
a deep-rooted uh, family of developers and real estate investors. Obviously, your education, I mean, you got to fill us in on, on the education side of it. But yeah, let's give, it, give us a story. Sure. So, How did uh, we end up here right now? How did we end up here? It was a dark and stormy night. <laughs> <laughs> the wind was howling. No, my grandfather, Sandy Hofstetter, in 1948 had left. He was a DP camp in Italy. Um, and um, this is right after the Holocaust. He was an Auschwitz survivor. Um, and he came to Canada on a furrier license, a permit to furrier. because Canada needed some furriers and he was one of the immigrants. Um, he did not know the first thing about furring, nor did he speak a word of English. Um, <laughs> and he came over. And 1948 was an interesting time period because there's a lot of people coming from after the war that are relocating to this country. And um, he dabbled in everything from selling fur coats to selling eggs on the back of a bicycle. Wow. Until in 1956, one of his um, friends um, had convinced him to go into real estate and build a house. And here's a guy who can barely wield a hammer, and yet somehow he convinced these people to allow him to build a house. And before he knew it, one house turned into many houses. Um, in 1960 or so, H&R took off. In the mid-60s, it was renamed H&R. Back then, there were about three or four big families that eventually all got intermarried to each other. Um, my grandfather, Sandy, um, his his cousin, his uncles were with him in business, the Rubensteins. Um, eventually, one of them married one of his best friends, Eugene Cohn, and they founded Fieldgate. Um, Fieldgate is another major development company here in Toronto. He was also very close to the Reichman family and did a lot of deals with them, which was Olympia and York, which is one of Toronto's premier Premier, premier developers that was probably the most internationally well-known because up until 89, they were seventh richest in the world um, and had built iconic developments such as First Canadian Place, Battery Park. And of course, there's many books about this, but they ended up going bankrupt on the Canary Wharf project in right, England. Right. Um, and then, of course, there was the Bleeman family, the Medallion Group, which built many, many rental buildings and my aunt married their uncle. 1989 was a game changer, though. By 1989, the Hofstra family was developing commercial, industrial, residential, like you name it, we did it. In 96, they rolled their commercial assets into a REIT called H&R REIT. My uncle Tom became the CEO of H&R REIT, and I think H&R REIT is, I don't know if it's the second or third largest, but it's a pretty large REIT in Canada, okay? Can we agree on that? And then the other companies, um, the high-rise went to my father, which is Lantara Developments, along with his partner, Barry Fenton. The mid-rise or low-rise, I should say, went to Uncle George and became Linvest. Uncle Dave took the industrial and commercial and became Davpart. H&R still exists. We still do a lot of development on the H&R brand. Um, now, as time went on, every industrial building and commercial building, <laughs> a lot of other buildings became high-rise development sites. Right. So whatever was a commercial office building back in the 90s, today is a downtown skyscraper. Right. So eventually everybody got into development, even if they were in the commercial and the industrial arms of the company. Right. Um, in 2000, Lantara was formed and, um, I worked at H&R, then I worked at Lantara. I'm one of seven siblings. So we breed in bulk. It's the, the Jewish way after the Holocaust, <laughs> there wasn't enough Jews. So they went into like rabbit. Also, oh, someone told us they're cheaper by the dozen. So they just kept having kids. And then eventually number seven, my parents were like, Hey, it's not getting any cheaper. There's no way this thing makes sense. <laughs> this is a lie. They lied to us. Um, so I worked at HR, I worked at Lantera, and then uh, as succession plan goes, as you can see, there's a lot of succession planning that goes into our family. Um, I ended up uh, leaving Lantera with my brother-in-law, Ben and Elliot. At the time, we formulated Marlin Spring, which stands for Mark and Lindy Offspring, the name of my parents, uh, name of my parents. Mm -hmm. uh, very important to name the company after your parents if you want your dad to be nice to you and help you with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's very simple. Name it after the father 
and he will help you with guarantees or things. Uh, and make sure you don't fail, because then otherwise the name is going to be like his name. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then after five years, <laughs> I'm, I'm 10 years younger than Ben. So after five years came the next stage of succession planning. I left, I started all tree developments, alt, which means to challenge the standard and read to be very excited about it. If you're excited to challenge the standard, Tree. So tell me something. Well, is there, which tree? Is, is, is there which tree? Rich, rich trees. Which, no, what, which tree? What are the trees? All tree. So Come tell me, on. tell me, Seriously. tell me about the name Lantera. Is there, is there a, is there a tree? Funny enough, so, there's so, no reason for the name Lantera. He completely made it up. Nice. Makes so, sense. So <laughs> I don't know where, where to go from there. It was such a, it was, the whole story is been told. Story. So when, when let's, let's take go, an hour to tell that story. Let, let's go, let's go back to your time, you know, working for your father and stuff. Did they like give you like the cushy job and, and, and put you right at the top or did they, you know, make Have you, you met my dad? Like, seriously? <laughs> you can Let tell me explain to my childhood. Okay. <laughs> let's Every go. Sunday you went to the office. He had a big whiteboard, because back then we don't have all the technology we had today. Um, open the whiteboard with his markers and he would draw, okay, this is servicing, this is how big your storm pipe has to be, this is how many lots per acre you can create. Um, we went through all different types of civil engineering, mechanical engineering, we went through structural, we went through interest rates, we went through development. Pretty much that was my entire childhood. And then afterwards <laughs> we went to site and I got to drive a scraper or whatever truck was on site that time. I remember like I was maybe like 11 years old and I climbed the top of Rosedale. There was a, a, a crane at like, I don't even remember, 20, 30 stories. And I climbed all the way to the top. Yeah, secu- <laughs> uh, safety wasn't big back then. Yeah. By the way. So, you know, 25 years ago, safety wasn't huge. Uh, yeah, <laughs> such a kid top of the, climbing so the top your dad, of the crane. So did your dad make you work? Did you have any part-time jobs growing up? Um, so it was a little different because what happened is, is we grew up in an Orthodox, uh, Jewish lifestyle. So you are in school most of your life, um, from high school, you're in boarding school, um, and you only get off three weeks in the summer. So you don't really get off like those long summer vacations. Wow. Right, right. I know. Right. And school starts at seven in the morning and it goes till nine thirty PM. Oh, perfect. So you work like a dog on that. Yeah. And then when you're off and you have off and you have internships and all that, you go work in the company. So there was a lot, a lot of that. Yeah. And also my father and I um, would spend every Saturday um, walking to synagogue and back. And I would walk my grandfather, Mr. Hofstetter, back and forth too. And more lessons on real estate development. Wow. Yeah. I like it. Any, no any, one in the family became a doctor. I just want to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> Not one. Any any uh, any war stories from those walks you could share with us? Any of the old, old school uh you know. Depends if my wife's ever going to hear this or not. <laughs> but she does. No, you're no, right. There was lots of war stories. I mean, there's endless and endless amount of stories. Almost every single building that they've done in Toronto has a story to it. Um, and a lot of them are iconic buildings today. I mean, we grew up with, with Jurassic Park when we built that, the Maple Leaf Square. Um, but there are some amazing stories that you get to read. Certainly one of the most fascinating time periods was, uh, well, regrettably, was 88 to, to 96. Because in 88 to 96 was really where the crash happened, mm-hmm. which no one could possibly believe when interest rates were 18% and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then all the way to the recovery of that stage until late mid to late 90s when it took up again. And a lot of that was the lessons I learned was lessons surrounding the crash. Right, right. When I told good. my grandfather, Mr. Hofstra, I want to become a developer. He looked at me and said, get a real job. <laughs> <laughs> So what, 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 is there anything you can share about, obviously there's uh, a lot of discussions uh, about the, 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 you know, changes in the market now. What, what was, uh, what was then versus now? Yeah. Like you what want was, the, what's going to happen? Was there, yeah. Well, was there any Our interest rates going 18%? Yes or yes? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I don't know. It depends on which government official you ask that day. Right. Um, but I got to tell you the, the, you have to remember 
the time period that they were in vis-a-vis, they were in an advanced, advanced, um, rapid immigration, right? And they were building nonstop and there were so many people coming in and things were just wildly out of control. They couldn't control inflation. They couldn't control anything. Monetary policy wasn't sound. Um, the world of communication was different as well. Today, you open your phone, within a second, you know what's going on in the world. Back then, it didn't quite happen that way. So a lot, until things happened, there was a buildup. Today, the minute something happens, you hear about it. So you can adjust your scopes naturally, right? Um, algorithmic trading, which was in the 80s big, and what probably what caused the collapse of the stock market, was really what happened was from one day not having any technology and trading through calling your broker and putting a, you know, a trade in, to all of a sudden having computers trading on their own. I mean, that was something that, that really traded things, right? So there's a lot that happened in that period of time. There's a lot that happened in the in the recovery of that period of time. But it's remember, interest rates, yeah, 12 to 18% was where they were back then. Interest rates are high today. There's no question about it. I don't think the Bank of Canada is going to make that same mistake again after the devastation that it caused in the 80s. Like, yeah. I just don't see them making that same mistake. Um, do they make a lot of mistakes? Yeah, there's no question that they make a lot of mistakes. The, the Bank of Canada gets a bad rap because what happens is the government screws up, does what they want to do, Spends all this money yeah. without like really understanding it because they're politicians. They're not uh, no, necessarily understanding that. And then the Bank of Canada has to come in and clean up their mess. Yeah. Right? And all, and all they have is a hammer to try to fix it. Right? Yeah. And back then, the Bank of Canada couldn't really say it as well because the media was the only voice you heard. But today, the media is not the only voice you hear. In fact, it's probably the least trustworthy voice that you're going to hear. Um, you're going to hear it through a million of different news sources. So the story that's being told is not one voice, one person's opinion and a disconnect. There's a lot more cohesion in that. Does it mean necessarily everyone's like on the same page? No, everyone's on different pages. Every news source is a different story, but it leaves it to the consumer to understand what they need to understand. And it is less distortion from one person narrating. Yeah. I think that makes a little bit of sense to me. For sure. But again, you're in the industry business. What do you think? <laughs> no, I, I actually agree with you. I think that just given the history lesson alone, I don't think that it's fiscally responsible for either the the feds or the Bank of Canada to let things spiral out of control like they did in, in, in that pe- period of time. Like, what did you say, 88 to 96? Well, sort 88 to 89 88. was really where the world collapsed. Yeah, right? but in the early 90s was when a lot of people went bankrupt. So I don't see it. I, I think there's got to be some, like, I think, I think, I also think we're coming off of the pandemic. I think that is a major factor. I think that inflation is a result of what happened from 19 to 2022. So I think that there's got to be some. Stabi- like we've got we've got to like put this like stability stint into the system just to like cure all the uncertainty and I think that that to me it doesn't matter to, to me to me it doesn't matter if rates come down I actually think the rates are at a relatively healthy rate I think this is normal I think we're in a normal yeah when I got married period. you mortgages was like to get a five year fix yeah. was three nine nine. Yeah, it's, it's probably in what mid fours today for for low fours. If you get a five year fixed, I mean you can you can still lock in at those rates. Like it may be a little bit higher, but it's not crazy. Like pouring money at five, oh. six, seven percent is is a normal thing. We've just been so used to no, free no, money. No, it's crazy how long it takes to zone something in the city. That's crazy. Yeah, interest rates wouldn't matter if you got zoning in six months. Okay. I was talking to a guy on the way here, and he was telling me he just bought a site in Miami. He went to go see the mayor of Miami, and he was talking to him about like the entitlement process, and he was saying. Oh, Miami's a joke. We do a lot say, of business. He said, he's like, yeah, you know, I'm, this is the mayor's apologize. Like, normally we can get this done in like three or four months, but I think this might take me six months to get you your approval. So he's like, in it. He's like, I almost fell off my chair. 
Well, that's a good that's a good segue into <laughs> all tree. So, what was the what was the plan when you started the company? Was it to be high rise, low rise? Yeah, so right I, I did a lot of low rise. Before, before we ask, I have to ask a hard question. Okay. So, what, what, why did you leave Marlin Spring? What happened? Can you tell us that story? Is there is there a story? Oh, there's a story. All right, now <laughs> <laughs> you were there. You were working with so so. Yeah, Elliot, so there's seven Elliot of us. You have to remember, ben. there's seven of us. Right, right. Um, I'll tell you the story. So so Elliot, Elliot, and and Ben are your cousins. No, my brother-in-laws. They married my brother, sisters. Brother-in-laws, brother-in-laws, right? Yeah, Got Mark it. and Lindy off right, spring. Right, 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 right. I was the spring part. <laughs> the off spring. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. So it, it, what happens is, and um, there's there's a there's a straightforward story to it. It's it's somewhat interesting. I wouldn't say it's super interesting. Unfortunately, it's not as gory as it, as you probably want it to be. But <laughs> just, just like you know, over exaggerate <laughs> most so of the details. Every single family <laughs> deals with the Game of Thrones issue. Yeah. Okay. The Game of Thrones issue is succession planning. Okay. And just to put out the succession planning is a very, very big um, part because you have different ages of different kids, right? So I don't know if you watch Game of Thrones, but, you know, Joffrey was like four years old when they wanted him to become king. And there was that whole argument, right? Who is an heir, who's next online? Right? I'm the only person probably on the planet who's never seen a yeah, no, I've, Game of Thrones. I've, I've, no, I've never watched Game of Thrones. Come on. <laughs> really? No, never I, I thought I was the only the one. Like, really? I've never seen an episode. Not one. Are you admitting this on a live recorded device? I have no interest in like goblins and dragons and all that. Yeah, no, crap. I don't. I I've never seen a Star Wars movie either. Oh, shit. Now I got to redo my whole speech. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Look, like the whole story's gone. No, yeah, just joking. No. Just <laughs> so, reference around the, the HBO show Succession. Oh, okay. Succession planning is the number one issue in multi-generational families. Absolutely. Shirt yeah. sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. That's the issue. You can speak to any family that's been around for a while. Um, and that was been the number one issue. Um, at one point, we were, like most families, bringing in consultants to work on succession planning. And we ended up with a consultancy group out of Harvard called the Cambridge Institute for Family Enterprise. We ended up going to Harvard with 14 other families from around the world that were high net worth, multi-generational. And they put us 14 families in a room in the Harvard Club for a week. And they basically ripped us to shreds. And Canada... it's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, Canada sent two families, one from Toronto, one from Vancouver. Uh, we represented Toronto. But Mexico sent Nigeria, England, uh, United States of America. The Rockefellers were there. Uh, Mexico. Did I say Mexico already? I don't, I don't remember all the countries. Anyway, yeah, anyways, we, this yeah, was it. That's cool. And this goes back about 10 years ago, maybe, something like that. And the long story short, the idea was to create wealth generators. And that if you have a lot of kids, which we did, having a lot of kids, you have to have create wealth generators. You have to allow each kid to be able to succeed on their own right. Okay, and by doing that, you have to create them, create independence, and create that they have the ability to create their own companies. Give them the tools to succeed. Don't hamper them, and let other people succeed alongside them. So we left that, and um, the next day we ended up creating Marlin Spring. There's three of us. There was one brother-in-law, Ellie, who was working in New York as Castle Antera. I had Ralph at Lantry, who you met on the plane. Um, the other two siblings at the time were very young, so it wasn't applicable. Um, and I was too young as well to go on my own, my own. So what we ended up doing is we partnered up Ben Elliott and eventually myself and myself. And then um, the idea was eventually everybody would go independent and, and create their own companies. Um, fast forward, um, my the youngest, Martin, has a company, 24Es, um, that does mostly venture capital, private equity, those sort of things. Noam Adele does Clanton Capital, everything from Woodpecker Coats, Sapsucker Water, drones, all that fun stuff. Um, uh, Ralph has Lantry Developments. Ben and Ellie are still together, although the company has changed it from what it was it was originally and has come more institutionalized. And that's Marlon Spring. Um, Ellie Reader is in the United States. It's Casa Lantera, and I'm Altry. Wow. Yeah. 
Interesting. Yeah. So basically, you take the guy person and you throw him in the deep end. He's yeah. gonna succeed or sink. No, it's crazy. That's crazy. You, know, you know, with with, with the succession thing and the multi generational wealth, it's it's interesting. I was reading some on the weekend. There's three there's three things you can do. You, there can be wealth generators. There can be uh, wealth preservers, and then there can be wealth consumers. Right. So if you, you don't you don't want to hand it over, you don't want to pass it on to the those who consume the wealth because that does not preserve nor generate more wealth. Preserving wealth is okay, but it makes you very risk adverse, and you kind of live in a constant state of fear. We don't want to lose what was given or earned or made, but the but if you take the generator attitude, it talks a lot about it talks a lot about just sort of like you know it's forward thinking and it's how you keep the ball. So you have to understand also down the field. a few more things. Number one is you have the exponential factor. Okay, the exponential yeah. factor is what's always working against you. You have a hundred dollars. You have two kids. Each kid is only worth fifty dollars. Right, that kid each has two kids. Yeah, there's four now. Each kid's only worth twenty five. Right, multiply that. We have seven kids, so yeah. now you can understand now that you know no matter how wealthy somebody is, if there are a hundred grandchildren, great grandchildren, and then G four the Hofstra family, there's one hundred and fifty great grandchildren. Oh my goodness! So wow. there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of mouths. Right, so that works against you always. Um, the other thing is that or, in Canada, uh, we or have this, for you. I mean, there's, there's, I could make the other argument. Yeah. So what happens is, is because there's so many grandkids, they marry each other. That's called wealth preservation. <laughs> and we call it incest. We call it when one cousin marries another cousin. We call it wealth preservation. <laughs> For a second there, I thought you were serious. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, going. that's a good way to do it. <laughs> um, so, the so, other thing is that Canada doesn't have a 1031 exchange like they do in the United States. In the United States, the real estate market is driven on a 1031 exchange, meaning you sell your real estate asset and you buy another real, real estate, estate asset, asset within 90 days, yeah. you, don't defer those ta- you defer the capital gain tax, right? So you don't have to pay a huge tax bill. In Canada, any real estate that you've created and owned, you've appreciated down, depreciated down to zero 25 years later. And if you sold it, there'd be a huge tax burden. So you really can't move the assets unless you sell it to a REIT. And um, that creates a lot of problems with trusts and, and next-gen type of concepts. So um, you, what I'm saying is you're always running up a hill. Yeah, the tax hill. The tax hill and, of course, the fact that as families grow, yeah, they get yeah, more. Yeah. Got it. Okay, so that makes sense. So, yeah, so, so enter Ultra. Let's talk about you yes. and, and the company. Yeah, let's jump. Let's jump right into it. So, we want to jump in your first project. Yeah, was it Thirty Six Zora? Oh, my first. Launched, launched that right before the pandemic happened, but you were able to get eighty percent sold. Were, were yeah. you? Were so you at the time? Were you we're worried? We're an occupancy in a few months from now. We're finished. It's, yeah. uh We actually just bought the neighboring building. We're going to be doing eighteen Zora. Okay, nice, cool. It's great. Eighteen means life in the Jewish world. It's a big number. Thirty-six means double life. So I kind of like that the address has worked out. Um, Yeah, so we bought that. We're doing the park soon as well. There, thirty-six Zora was a beautiful project. It was the Queen's Way. It was just just amazing architecture. It's actually now when I drive by it and it's it's pretty much finished. The exterior it looks amazing, way better than the rendering. So I actually want to do like, you know, awards where the rendering, which looks better, building or rendering. Nice. And see which developers actually lived up to their, their yeah. other promises. It's, it wouldn't be pretty. Yeah. Well, I, I think it'd come out <laughs> on top, right? I hope so. Yeah. I think so. I, I haven't, to be honest, off the top of my head, I can't picture it, but... My my biggest pet peeve is when developers release these renderings earlier on, like way early, like way too early on, and, and you're just like, you look at it, you're like it's be- obviously beautiful. It's so it's funny, my biggest uh, peeve is development charges when they keep going <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so so this is to take me back to maybe like 2020. Like, what were you what were you feeling at the start of the pandemic? When you've got you've sold this building. Did you think it was a it was oh, a waste no, that no, it wasn't no, going to no, happen? The start the start of the pandemic in March 1st of 2020. 15 days or 17 days before lockdown. 
We launched Forest Hill Private Residences, oh, wow. the corner of Forest Hill <laughs> and St. Clair, at 2000 bucks a foot, the most premium building to the 60-plus age group. Yeah. Nice. The ones that were not leaving their house yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah. Limestone, granite. And we put a lot of money into this launch. We launched. There's billboards everywhere. and sales office. It's great. And we have our opening party on March 20th. Wow. How many people showed up? No, we canceled it yeah. two days before. It was at Natasha Koifman's house, and we canceled it. And, and um, yeah. the next two years of our lives was selling through masks, selling through Zooms. People yeah. were buying $6 million condos through, Zoom. through Zooms, which was pretty Crazy. amazing, right? Um, and then the the pandemic, um, the, the, the way Canada held responded so nicely to the pandemic was a really real <laughs> real roller coaster ride between the supply chain issues the crises that you had to deal with on a daily basis but that was 2020 yeah and then uh 36 or we sold before that already um in 2019 so you were not you so say you were you were you were not worried at the time that you wouldn't have anyone to actually build that thing for you well, Ella's gone. Well, I mean, no, they, I mean, just like everyone's staying at home, right? At some point in time, you're probably thinking, oh, my God, like this is. No, not, I, we all knew that, that 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 COVID couldn't last, right? Um, it, it was a problem. There was an overreaction. There was a crazy craziness that went on. More in Canada than the United States. Because, yep. like, we also do a lot of business in Florida. We live there quite a bit. And, and my wife's from Miami Beach. And, like, COVID in Miami was a different story than COVID in Toronto. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It was like two worlds. Oh, yeah. So, I, yeah, we knew there was an end game in sight. It was just how much could the government screw us up until then, right? <laughs> um, and they did a great job of that. So that was the the COVID uh, era. So tell us, tell, talk a but little bit. We went about- on a buying spree during COVID. We bought sites all across Toronto, east, west, north, south. Like, I was going to ask. I, you have, you have, we're, we're very close to the border with Scarborough, where we're at right now. You oh, seem I to love be, Scarborough. You seem to be betting big on Scarborough. Betting maybe, big on Scarborough. Maybe, maybe talk a little bit about what you love about the east side. Well, Ben, you live in the east side. <laughs> That's why I want to hear. I came all the way down here thing. for this, uh, this uh, podcast. We're in a condo slumber building party. in the east end. For the slumber party. <laughs> for the slumber party in this condo that we're in right now. You tell us what you love about the east end. Oh, it's so, it's, it's so close to downtown Toronto, yet it feels very much like, uh, you know, a little bit like a, a suburb, right? So kind of the best of both worlds, I think. Well, I mean, look at the view. We're sitting here looking at the view of downtown, which, by the way, when you're in downtown, the view's not that great. But when you're looking at downtown from far, it's like, wow, yeah, holy cow, is that our downtown. city? We're looking at the water. We have amenities through the wazoo. We have culture, great coffee shops, except for the Tim Hortons down the block. <laughs> I, the, Scarborough, to me, is an urban oasis that has so many things going for it, yet is misunderstood. Now, rewind the clock to prior to the amalgamation of Toronto um, with our many, many mayors ago, right? And Scarborough was a bunch of different cities. Now, let's go back even earlier. The east ends of the cities are always the last to be developed, hence the Lower East Side versus the Upper West Side in the United States, right? Usually that's the Northern Wind concept. You know that one, right? Where the Northern Wind always blew, and then what happened was is all the garbage Industrial. Oh, they pulled the industrial. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, But. But. Until the meatpacking district in New York became the coolest place alive, and grunge became cool again. Many people didn't see these areas as cool. And then what happened was is it became cool. And now today, the idea of being part of these vintage red brick, these rustic, these authentic, and I'm going to use the word authentic here because I think that's what really describes these areas really well. Authentic became so appealing to so many people. Scarborough became very much coveted. Hence, we're on these little streets that have boutique condos, six stories, seven stories, eight stories. You're not in a jungle of towers. And there are 
beautiful amenities surrounding you. There's culture, there's people on the streets, there's walkability. Um, if you look to my left, there's an entire lake that I can see <laughs> and I can walk to it and touch it and feel it. Um, so there's Scarborough. Now, before also the amalgamation, don't forget, Scarborough is not Scarborough. It's a very big misconception. Yeah. And Toronto is not Toronto either. What Toronto is, is many little communities and villages and neighborhoods that are put together, sloshed together into this mosaic of different tiles. And if I live in one tile, it's dramatically different than the next tile. If I live in Scarborough and Cliffside, it's very different than if I live in Birchcliff. It's very different than if I live in Highland Creek. It's very different than if I live in the Upper Beaches or if I live in, in any other of these areas in Scarborough. Then if I go north of Lawrence, north of this, and I, the more north I go, it's a very different area. So don't call Scarborough Scarborough because it's all different villages and neighborhoods. So we're building in Highland Creek. We're building in Cliffside Village. We're building in Birchcliff Village. Uh, if someone was selling me more land along the bluffs, I'd build more land along the bluffs. That's kind of where we see this. You know, Danforth, all these areas that are there. Now, what's it bounded by? Why is it so interesting? Why? Most of Toronto was built on a grid system, right? The concession, the conveyor belts, the concession blocks, all that kind of stuff, right? Why? Because they were farmland and they were pre-planned, right? The only thing that wasn't was the Danforth and Kingston Road because it was cut in as the farmers came into Toronto, right? Coming in from Kingston on the east. They moved west. They cut a road that is actually not straight. Kingston Road to you, yeah. right? And that's created all this interesting dynamic blocks and slot lines that are not straight, mm-hmm. regular rectangles. Um, hence, even the building we're sitting in is an off shape, right? It's not a regular rectangle building. And that is because it was done even before proper planning was done. You're also sitting on the bluffs, which I think is one of the wonders of the world. In fact, I'd rather sit and watch the bluffs than Niagara Falls. Um, And I think overall in Scarborough, there's a fabric that's edging and flowing, and there's a transformation happening. Wayne Gretzky says, go where the puck's going, not where the puck is. Hey, now we're talking. There we go. We got our reference. What a segue. (laughs) So if I had to move somewhere in Toronto, downtown is really cool. Don't get me wrong. Very expensive. Also very congested. West End still has some work in Etobicoke, but the Etobicoke neighborhoods were big blobs of mixed use on the official plan policy, allowing for high density in very congested areas. Um, North York, I'm doing a lot in North York, but that's a different, that's a whole different animal. So that moves that the East is now what's transforming. And as we become more cultural, as the generation change and we get younger and we get more immigrants and all that fun stuff that creates Toronto as a cultural hub, I think Scarborough is picking up its A game. Talk about your uh, your North York stuff because you mentioned North York as well. Oh yeah, so I, like, I want to hear your your dissection of that community. Okay, so <laughs> this is good. I'm listening. You got an audience, buddy boy. Let's go. So we're developing several projects. How um, many projects do you have on the go? By the way, it sounds like it's it's in like the high teens. Yeah, it's about that. Wow. I mean, in Canada, it's high teens, just, and then we have in New Jersey. When you New say York, we, I assume you mean just just, just me, but I like yeah. to say we because it, it makes yeah, it's, sense. Yeah, it's it's all street. It's not. Just Lantera. alter, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, no, no, okay. Lantera is yeah. a whole different kettle of fish. Right, right. Um, no, everything's, when I say, when I talk, it's it's about Altry. It's the Altry projects under the Altry banner. There are other products under Lantera. There are other projects under Marlon Spring. Got it. We are partnered in joint venture on a lot of projects. But if the joint venture partner that's leading it is Lantera, it's Lantera. If it's joint venture with Marlon Spring, it's Marlon Spring. Does that happen right. often? Yes. Lantera plus Marlon, Lantera plus... Lantera plus Marlon, no, because it's that's the... But Different. quite a bit of... I have quite a bit with Marlon Spring still that I'm still... You do. In, um, and quite a bit with my father and I that we do together, the father and son joint venture team. Ooh, um, like some that. stuff with Lantera, but not so much because yeah. we're yeah. not... Not that we compete, yeah. but that, you know, the idea well, is to create your identity, right? I get it. Yeah. Part of the succession planning. 
Um, so North York, yeah. So there's a street. It's a crazy street. It's called Marley. And it goes from Lawrence to Eglinton. There's the Allen Road right there. And then there's like three train stations. There's Glencairn Station. There's Lawrence Station. There's Eglinton Station. There's a bus that goes back and forth. It's a beautiful little street not developed. There's one guy, Chestnut Hills, developing there too, by the way. And then at the end of it is this mall called the Lawrence Allen Center that RealCan did, which, yes, they could have done a better name, like Lawrence Allen Center. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> speak to the marketing department there. <laughs> and it's just the connectivity that you have. And then when you go, literally, there's a bus that takes you down the block to Eglinton Station. You can walk to Eglinton Station. You can take the Glencairn Station. Then all of a sudden, you're at the LRT connecting. Connection. You can go anywhere in the city. The connect, like, like the connection is amazing, incredible, and yet probably the lowest density around it. So we've assembled lots of land over the last uh, six or seven years, and we're bringing in. Well, we have a nine-story, two hundred unit building we're coming out this year to market with, um, called Club Two Eighty Five. Then we have a thirty-three story building we're planning across the street. Um, in line with Chestnut Hills applications as well. And we're working on another site as well there. So we'll be bringing 500 units or so. A little bit more than 500, I think, in the first two buildings and then a third, hopefully. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's a nice spot. Well, I, I, I did want to go back to Scarborough real quick. Yeah. Because you yeah, know, because your company's been getting a little bit of media attention for, for you know, rental replacement. Oh, what a wonderful thing to do for the city of Toronto. So how are you stick handling that little situation? Look, at the end of the day... Sometimes being a father, as you know, since we're all parents, is not easy. And sometimes people don't always see what you're really doing. But at the end of the day, the city of Toronto needs homes. At the end of the day, um, rental replacement that the city does mandate gives people that are in rental buildings brand new homes. It pays for their moving out expenses, their moving in expenses. You pay for, for the difference in rent they would be paying while they're not in the building. And then they come back to a brand new condo in a much safer condition, much better condition, with way better amenities, you're sourcing it. So um, part rental has a lot of rental and a lot of rental replacement does restrict a lot of development because of the economics of it. But it's crucial to the city and it's crucial to the residents themselves to be able to move into new buildings. Because at the end of the day, a lot of these buildings are crumbling infrastructure. They're very old. They were not built extremely well. Some of them will build well, but it's way past this prime. And um, in order to create new buildings with new demand that lowers housing costs, creates more affordable options for people, as well as a better life. And they're still paying the same rent. So to me, it's a win-win. It's like winning the lottery. Yeah, well, it's always thought. Yeah. If I could just find a building when I was younger. So that, what's, what's, what's the controversy then? Well, they- It's, it's a little it's, bit of a media picture because what happens is, is that a lot of people living in these buildings- Yeah, they, they have to go find somewhere to live for five years. No, well, we assist them. There's, there's yeah. rental relocation assistance. It's more of the fear of the unknown. Yeah, yeah. Um, and well, that's it, just, that's just and even if it's explained right? to them, there's also this media that paints developers sometimes in bad light, and therefore yeah. it's not explained to them that they just won the lottery. Yeah. You literally won the lottery. Imagine <laughs> someone came to you and, and offered you that, right? Oh, by the way, for what you're paying for today, not only will you be paid to move out, move back in, and the difference in rent that you're going to pay, you will also get a brand, brand new, new unit place. at the same rate you're paying, in restricted rent, so it can't yeah, go up, yeah. in brand with all the amenities, right? It's obviously something that's amazing. It yeah. doesn't take a lot to understand that. But the portrayal of the media and sometimes just people themselves, they sometimes have this. And medias look for stories like that and they, they demonize yeah. these things. The, the, I mean, we know. We've talked about it a lot of times that 
developers are painted as the bad people, even though we desperately need housing. You're the ones providing the housing. You're the ones providing jobs and additional taxes and de- development charges and Parkland dedication fees and, you know, paying for thousands of municipal employees to keep them afloat. Yet you get, get a bad rap. And then now it's we're in the every four or six months, there's more articles about real estate investors and how they're driving up the market and real doing all these bad things. Real estate investors are a great thing for this market. They really are an well, amazing Well, you, you need someone to consume the new, the new product so that the older product can become affordable. Like that's the way, you, in a lot of ways, you build the affordable housing. No, it's, it's, not, it's not the long-term solution. Real estate investors are, 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 and I think it's such a misconception what, what media paints the story and what the government paints the story. Real estate investors are what allows the buildings of Toronto to be built. Because let's be honest, they're, equi- they're, they're looking they're for equity home providers. To live, yeah. You're rarely going to wait five, six years to get to your home. 100%. Right? I mean, it's very hard for you when you're, wherever stage of life you're in, to know what's going to be five, six years out that you can buy a pre construction home and live in that home. It's very hard, right? You need an investor to, to bridge that gap. Now, why do you need the investor to bridge that gap? Why can't you do purposeful rental or things like that? It's because the banks in Canada only lend 65% of the costs. And unlike in the US, where you can easily get to 80%, right? That's right. At pretty good interest rates. So I'm looking at Sean. I've been talking to Ron. Come on. Come on. Um, but the other thing is, is that not just in the capital no guarantees. stack. You, you, no met, you mentioned Miami earlier. Downtown yeah. Miami, the average development charge, including parking levies, including everything, is $12,000 a unit. The average here, once you add up all the levies from your Section 37s, your EDCs, your DCs, and all that, can are in excess of $300,000 per unit. You have to finance that. Yeah. How do you pay for that? That's past the consumer. Yeah, the consumer pays so for it. So the investors are able to bridge the gap of being able to finance a building from now until completion when the person can come in and actually, who needs that home, actually buy that home or live in that home. Investors are what allow us to build these big buildings. Without that, you won't find enough purchasers that are able to know whether life's out five, six, seven years out and be able to take that risk. Yeah, I, I, did, my, I did the largest consulting job in terms of building size for a rental. 630 units, right? 45 stories. Yet, how many condo studies that I do that are 75, 80, 95 stories, 900 units? I mean, we would never get, even if every single site was a rental site yeah. <laughs> and there was equity for it, we still wouldn't get the yeah. same amount of units as we do no, in the condo can. market. Yeah. So investors are great. They're, they're, they're great equity providers. And it, yeah, it just makes so, me so, so speak, frustrated. So speaking of, 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 of uh, housing and rental and condo, what, what's your opinion on, on rental? Would you guys ever do rental? Have you thought about doing rental? We do some rental. Economics are tough right now on, on rental. I, I know that. We're doing a lot of rental outside Canada. Yeah. Uh, a lot in the New Jersey market. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned my brother. Well, everything partners everything on a big rental US. product so there. I went to a conference in, in Miami actually on everybody rental, no condo, no yeah. pre sales, no deposits. Everyone's doing rental. Different <laughs> world. We're building a 477 unit rental in New Jersey, purposeful rental. Yeah. But there's no HST on substantial completion. So the government doesn't tax you to death on it. There's no development charges on it. It's much more affordable, it's much more financeable. There's no underground parking required by the city. And there's parking allowed above grade at a much cheaper rate. It's much cheaper to build. It's just simply cheaper, easier, more efficient, and faster. Yeah. So would you do it here? Would you Would you guys? Well, right now the government it makes it very difficult with all the taxation um, and all the, the requirements that we have to do it and with all the development charges and whatnot. It does make it very difficult. Unless that regime changes, I don't see the economics of it making sense. But but as a, as a I want to say something because yeah. I think there's a misconception too. Yeah. Condos are rentals. Yes and no. Yes, they are, but they're not. I, I guess 
from a, a, a business planning perspective, talk, going back to succession and talking about cash flow and, and liquidity and an annuity, but rentals are great for that purpose for you, right? Like if your company, Altria, owns No, for the consumer 5, 000, in the city of Toronto and, uh, who's looking for a home to buy or rent, yeah. right? Preferably yeah, rent. Condos are a rental too. Condos are a rental too. And in Europe, yeah. that's what most of the European market is. It's just condos mm-hmm. owned. Yeah, so we are building rental stock. We're building with individual landlords as opposed to mass landlords, which is usually better for the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's more flexible because the market changes. Units can be sold off to, to be ownership and then things change. More There's be more units can be bought by investors and converted and to... And you can create individual landlords, which gives people the ability to have retirement packages. Investments that are more stable than maybe the stock market. Yeah, for sure. Well, let me... I wanted to ask you a little bit because we're... Now that we're sponsored by an executive search firm, you know, what was kind of your goal when you went in? Were you looking to do rapid expansion? Or, you know, how did you go about, you know, finding the right people to kind of help grow your, grow your business? Are you talking about employees or are yeah, you talking employees, about partners? Employees, yeah, employees. Employees. Well, I was very fortunate, very, very fortunate, and I say till this very day, I was super fortunate that I had some key people who have been with me from the onset, um, namely Jordan Debrancat, who's been uh, with me from when I started my career, and we've been worked at Lantara, then Marlon Spring, and she came with me to Altree. And some of my key staff members came with me, and they've been with me for a, over a decade. So that I was very, very fortunate. Um, and then over time- So on day you know, one, you had a couple- key stakeholders in, in place. Yeah. Key employees in place who, yeah. you, who you knew you worked with and you trusted. That's great. Yeah. Can't no, and that. I'm like super appreciative of that and fortunate yeah. to have those relationships, even on my, on the marketing side. I had Cecilia's with me for many years. Um, so that was very, 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 very good. Yeah. Um, as we got, as we moved on, we ended up hiring more and it was very difficult. Prior to the pandemic, it was a little easier. The labor market was a little bit easier to work with. During the pandemic was murder, like yeah. just murder. Turnover Steve and was I, terrible. Steve and I Burnout was, sh- was terrible. Sharing stories of tr- uh, oh, difficulty yeah. finding uh, the right employees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now in the last few months, it's been easier. We've seen the labor market cool down a little bit in terms of allowing, uh, in terms of finding people. Yeah. Uh, we don't provide work from home as a, as a steady state because what we do is extremely collaborative. Yeah. It's very, very hard to work from home in a very collaborative environment. Um, but yeah, it is quite difficult finding people today. Yeah. And, and what was the goal? Was the goal to kind of, hey, we're going to launch one or two projects a year? Or were you just, hey, we're, we're going to go where the market takes us. Well, maybe we'll do three, four, five projects. Maybe we'll only do one. What was, no, did you the, have? It's the deal. You can never create something that you want to accomplish. Yeah. And then make the deal fit that accomplishment. Yeah. Because then you may wake <laughs> up one day and it doesn't work like that. Yeah. Right? doesn't. You want that the deal makes sense. Yeah. And it's not just that the deal's profitable, it's that you're creating something that's profitable. You're creating something. So there's two ways to make money with your hands or with time. Time is I buy something, I hope it goes up in value. I don't do much to it. With hands, it's creation. You're creating something. You're manufacturing. I'm not really in real estate. I sell real estate, but I'm really in manufacturing. We're building homes, we're building things. Creating something means that you have to create something. So it's all about the creation of, of projects. I don't usually buy zone projects or projects that are zoned by someone else. I do that myself. Why? Because I want to create that concept. I want to build that puzzle. So you can't just walk down the street and say, hey, you know what? Um, I'm going to do 20 projects. You have to find the in neighborhoods, build the theses, why this thesis works here, build the deals, work with vendors, create the deals. And that takes a lot of time and effort to do. Um, the success comes really by part luck and part just constantly working and constantly working at it until it's kind of like a Rubik's Cube where you keep moving until all of a sudden you find the right 
formula and you're able to make it work. But it's not a one size fits all. You can't repeat this and repeat over and over and over again because we don't buy from the market. We're buying off market opportunities. We're creating opportunities. We're going into people's homes and talking to people who never even dreamt of selling. And in many cases, they don't even know what they're sitting on, right? So this is an art form and the art has, you have to let the art take itself. You can't dictate the art form. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. Because you always wonder. You're an artist. <laughs> you always wonder. You know, yeah. you see some developer will launch four projects in one year and then they won't, won't launch anything for four years, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's always kind of interesting how that came together. But I guess, you know, when the deal's ready and it's it's ready to be taken out of the oven, then. It's an interesting answer you, you gave too, because we're in the lending business, right? So we're, you know, we're people ask me what we sell. We sell money. You know, but really at the end of the day, like we are in the manufacturing business as well. Like we have to take in the raw goods. The raw goods in our, uh, in our, in our situation is a developer like you who's created, who's creating something and he gives you the raw goods being, you know, a draft pro forma, an APS, maybe an appraisal if you're lucky, likely not a, a environmental report at that stage in the game. And you're just sort of saying, okay, here's the raw goods, here's the raw materials. We have to manufacture this into like a structured loan. So how do we get, you know, different groups of investors, the returns they need, given the risks that they're going to take to lend this individual money. And we talk about it, it's like sausage making, like it comes in one end as, as, the, as the raw goods and you got to make sausages or whatever widgets you want to, you know, put your analogy to. And it's, it's we, we kind of say the same thing. I use a different analogy, by the way, for your business. Yeah? Yeah. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, call, hear it. I called it the gasoline Beep. in the tractor. <laughs> okay. 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 Like That's the good. gasoline in the tractor. The tractor is I thought, what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be another sarcastic negative joke, but this is like a real one. Okay. Oh, I'm a positive guy. I'm Let's go. Be. What are you Let's go. About? Let's go. <laughs> gasoline the gasoline in, the in the tractor, right? So the tractor is the guy who builds and does the thing, but he can't do anything without the gasoline in the tank. The gasoline thing is the energy. It's the life form. It's the force that allows you to do what you're doing, which is financing. That's money. Without money, I can dream about building whatever I want to build. It won't make a difference, right? Now, how do you get that gasoline is the question. Is there's lights crude and how do you get the crude and how do you source the gasoline and which countries are you allowed to buy it from, which you're not yeah, allowed to buy yeah, it from? Yeah. Um, who's on the blacklist? Who's not on the blacklist? Is Russia still allowed to buy your other oil? Not allowed to buy the oil? How do you manufacture the oil? That's, That's your job. Yeah, Taking you that oil, making it into gasoline and then giving it to me. And you don't want to know anything about it. That's the other thing too. Right. And it's slightly flammable too because, yeah, you know, yeah. these these loans, they can get a little dicey at times. I heard another good one. A similar analogy. It came up on a call this morning and it was the uh, the ski hill and the chairlift. It's like you can own the ski hill and you can have the best ski hill in the world and you can have the amenities. But usually a ski hill operator or, or management company leases the chairlifts. So you miss that lease payment on the chairlift, and all of a sudden they shut down your electricity to your chairlift. You don't have a ski. You don't have a ski anymore. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> interesting. So let's different view, but so let's you get your your thoughts from a from a lender perspective when you're talking to lenders. Are they they're still gung ho? Are they still yeah, giving you this? Giving what are you the, the good, saying? Are they giving you the good terms? Like what, what's 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 the latest? Yeah, listen. No one likes the fact that prime is so high, um, artificially high. Um, whether the stabilized interest rates in the bonds are where they should be, the the definitely the prime rate is pretty high. I think Steve, you would agree to that. Um, lenders are lenders. You know, credit is a little tighter than usual. That's true. Um, they're not as easy to lend, but it's not dead. The market's moving. People understand the market. We're doing sales. It's not like we're not doing any sales. Are we blowing out sales to the like? When my would I launch projects right now? No, but. We are doing sales. There are definitely sales in the market happening at the same price per square foot with no with no price relevance. So I, I think that the market's in a good place. I think the reset's in a good place. Would I have done this? No, I wouldn't have done this. But then again, I wouldn't have given out money to everything like, during COVID either. If I was the prime minister, I would have been <laughs> a little bit more prudent and, and 
I think the market's in a healthy place. More importantly, construction costs are in a healthy place. Because now with the high interest rates and with the slowdown and certainly the, the lack of purpose-built rentals coming on board and the institutionals paying for those purpose-built rentals, we're seeing a wave of institutionals exiting the purpose-built rental space, whether they're selling their units or just pulling their entire development firms and stopping, um, which is great for guys like me, yeah. right? Because <laughs> the worst thing is when this guy comes in from Oxford or whatever and they have, like, they have such low cost of capital and they can build a purpose-built rental and then they suck up all the trades. So now go get a form worker. Good luck, Right. So um, being able to be in a space where you can construction costs, yeah, a bit. It's, yeah, it's definitely a healthier market to be in the long term. Yeah. And you guys don't have your own construction company, though. No, we third party. I used to okay. do construction myself, and yeah. it's not something I ever want to do again. <laughs> I have to call that executive search company every five minutes. Hey, going back, just quick, quick question. So going back to sales. So, you know, we're February 2023. I, I've talked to a couple developers even in the last day, day or two days where Six weeks ago or two months ago, they said, I'm not launching anything in 2023. Then a guy called me yesterday and said, He's like, I got one launch. I'm going to do it in May or June. I got one for September and I'm going to do one in November. He's got like a pipeline of sites, approved sites that he wants to sell. And I think that's like the the shift, you know, the, the, the mindset is changing in terms of like, okay, it's not as bad as we thought it was. Yeah, interest rates are high, but there are still sales. Absorption isn't hit like a zero percentile it's somewhere you know it's it's the velocity of sales is going to be slower but selling you know 20 houses a weekend opposed to 200 houses a weekend is okay like if it takes me five weekends and i sell you know it's 100 units and i got to do it over five it's not the end of the world or if you gotta work it like it was you gotta work it you gotta work the deals you gotta have a good marketing you gotta have a good sales team it's actually making a lot of these you know consultants i'll say work harder and work for their money earn their dollar um do you think the <laughs> no the end the other side of it but are, are you, you don't have to pay you can send the invoice to pickering <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> sure. are we in pickering no just um are you gonna would you sell this year or would you do you have any launches that you no think? i would sell this year anyone who's gonna sell this year and actually makes the sale is gonna make a lot of money because they're gonna get the downturn right yeah. so the pricing today's interest rates today's construction costs if they're they're honest and they're gonna ride the wave on the where you make the most money right so i think it's great the question is absorption right right and, and that's the question but again you know, interest rates, interest rates this way, that way. The deposit structure is so low here in Canada. It's a mindset change for sure, but it is very low. Go to go to Miami. You said Miami earlier. I'm going to harp on mean, Miami. But there's no deposits in Miami on condo. Is there? I mean, all the, all 50%. The, the standard really? Miami contract well, the night, is 40% before you break ground and then 10% on roof. That's the standard Miami contract. Wow. So you're paying 50%. Okay, Florida's different because the, the states that I've been... Miami, you go to Miami now, yeah. and I can show you any project in downtown Miami. Wow. But aren't, aren't some of those U.S. states, you can just, like, cancel your deal whenever and ask for your deposit back, though? So a lot of those kind of concepts are not doing pre-sales because it's difficult. New York, New Jersey, for sure, is a very difficult pre-sales market because a developer can't cancel. Yeah. Miami, wow. there still isn't out for, for financing. But the deposit structure is 50%, so wow. your construction loan is much less. Yeah. Right? So you're topping out at 50% of your overall cost. It's much better. The economics are better. Now, making that sale, very difficult now because you're parting with real money, right? It's not, you know, you put down 5% within 30 and then 5% within 180 and you hope for the best, right? It, this is real money you're talking about. So there is a mindset change to the United States and to mature cities. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah. So just, just talking about canceling sales and walking away deposits. <laughs> what, what, what do you take of uh, the protests going on? I know there's the uh, the guys up at the bus <laughs> shelter have their sign that calling mad at me. Uh, awful, terrible names. I don't even know what they're, it's just like, <laughs> it's crazy. So they, so they bought a house. Mad at me wanted to 
get rid of the rest of their inventory. They drop the prices. And the guys who bought at the higher price are furious with Madame for doing this. And they're out, outraged at the uh, unethical behavior. What do you take of all this? It's it's just, it's I, I got my opinion. I, don't know I assume it's going to be the same as yours, but... I don't know. Have you guys heard about this? Have you seen okay, yeah. it? I mean, I mean, same thing happened in 2017, right? Yeah, prices go up, prices go down, right? I mean, you you bought, you made that decision. You have to honor your contract, right? So, yeah. I mean, that's how I, I view it. But There's a guy about $4 million of real estate, and he's trying to rally people to feel sorry for him. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't know what's going on here. Well, listen, I don't know the alternative. I mean, let's say the guy had his deposits in. Let's say Mad. I mean, I'm not saying anything about Mad because they're probably not the case and they're a huge company, but and the project's gonna go under, and the alternative is that they cancel the entire project and his deposits get tied up forever. I mean, like does he want that? Yeah, no, no I know. I don't right, you don't know what's going on behind someone else's kimono. Right? You you trust in big names and good names that they're gonna do the right thing and do the best thing you gotta do, but you also have to believe that sometimes they have to do what they have to do. So I don't know what goes on behind the scenes on that project or any other project. I do know that no matter what, we're easy targets. Developers are easy targets because oh, yeah. people jump on us. The media jumps on us. They twist the words and it's just been the way it is. But even even in, even in the city, anytime the city needs money, they raise development charges. They create another development charge, another building permit fee, another fee, another fee. Another, it's just easy for them. Yeah, they want to. They want to. So you don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. I wouldn't be so quick to squeeze squeeze the blood out of the stone. But I think what happened in in 2018 in the low rise market is a lot of developers did not launch the next phase at a lower price because they were worried about closings in the first phase. So if they reset the 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 revenue for that area or the value of those units at a lower price, then their existing purchasers might not get uh, might not close. But I guess in Madame's case. They, but there's a fundamental issue here. When you do an occupancy on a building, the elevators are full. People are moving into suites. There's a need for housing. Yeah, sales up, sales down, because that's the government's monkeying around. Right. Let, yeah. let, let's remember this. This isn't market factors of economics that push us up or down. This is individual people meddling. You have a government <laughs> like Trudeau, and I'm going to say Trudeau again because it's Trudeau, comes in and he meddles and he gives away this money. Then you have a guy like Tiff Mac, and one day he says, I need to tackle inflation by raising interest rates. Yes. And he decides to do it. You have one guy and one guy with some advisors behind them that are now manipulating the entire lives of millions. And yet the media doesn't tell them that, hey, raising interest rates right now is 10 times worse for everybody than the CERB money you gave out during the COVID pandemic. Why are you yelling at Macklin to stop raising interest rates or raise Trudeau to interject and say, it's too much too fast. Yeah, you're taming inflation, but you're killing people along the way, yeah. right? It's, the story is only one-sided. So let's, no uh, hey, let's no that's chance. a good the good story. Your father lives in the same building with John Tory. Yeah. So do you run into him in the elevator, try to hit him up for some approvals? O- occasionally. Um, I would love to hit him up for approvals. Um, until <laughs> recently, it really didn't make much of a difference because yeah. there was no strong mayoral system. Yeah. Now there's a strong mayoral system, so I should really rethink that. Um, but this, as you know, how many projects go to council these days, almost all of them are going to the OLT. And that, a lot of that has to do with the fact that the system's broken, right? Um, talk, talk to us yeah, about the, talk say, talk let's, let's about the brokenness of the broken system. system. Let's I, go. I, I think we all agree, and I think that every councillor agrees. I think that the constituents of their ridings agree. I think that developers agree. I don't think there's anybody in the system that doesn't agree, whether you're a NIMBY or a YIMBY. Everyone thinks the system's broken. Yeah. And, and like I, all the fixes are breaking it more. So I, I'm curious to, to, you know, you tell us why you think it's broken and, and maybe offer one. One fix, if you were Mr. Mayor or Mr. Premier or Mr. Trudeau. <laughs> um, the, the problem, 
the way I see it is not that the leadership doesn't institute a lot in terms of trying to make things better. They do. Um, they're, and no one's bad. They're all good people and everyone's a good person. But there is a disconnect to what actually happens and then to instituting policies. I don't know if the policies need to change. Like, you know, okay, we're going to change it. We, we put in a new policy. Yeah. It's usually not the issue with the policy. It's the issue with the office itself. You have people who work at the city. They work in many different departments. They don't have great leadership in terms of knowing what to do, when to do it. The timelines are not held to it. They're short-staffed. Um, maybe their budgets are not even great in terms of who they're hiring and how much they're hiring because you know high-paying jobs are usually in the private sector. The idea of creating a cohesive environment to be able to process applications, and this is at every level of government, and a, a lot I'd blame is the work from home. A lot has to do with you know communication. A lot has to do with the fact that, yes, you may pass a bill, but the bureaucrat in the office doesn't know what to do. So instead of doing something, it's easier to do nothing. And therefore, they may just leave your application over there sitting for six months and not respond to it because why bother? There's no repercussions if they don't, right? Um, so doing nothing is easier than doing something. And that is what the disconnect is, is that it's not so much the policies that need help. It's the people in the offices that need the guidance, need the handholding, need clarity, need leadership. I think they're short-staffed, but it's not just short-staffed. I think their organization charts are too short. They need to create much more in terms of giving directions to people and hiring better people and having budgets for better people. Um, and then what they have to do is, is they have to push back against the easy money grabs. Councilors are, are going to have a very hard time approving projects at any time because constituents that are allowed are always against them, right? They're, they're always trying to look and source for money. So what do they do? They add a development charge. They add it. No, no, stop adding charges to stuff. Take that money and hire more planners mm -hmm. and hire senior planners. Mm -hmm. And hire people. good people. People appropriately for the job they're doing. Yeah. And I, I think if you go to any guy in the city of Toronto, they always say, oh, we're backlogged, we're backlogged, we're backlogged. Every department. Try getting a passport. It's the same thing. Why are we so backlogged? No is it no people or is it that we're not pushing the people? Or we're not managing the people correctly? Well, I think it's all the I think Maybe it's all they the just above. need to understand that they got to run this a little bit more like a business as opposed to a charity. If you work for the government, it's, it's a, a charity. business. It's You're a here to create something. It's not a charity. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, you see, you see so many people leave the city after five, six years and go to the private sector. Even though when they started, they were passionate about the city, they wanted to work for yeah. the city. Yeah. And then they realized it is a, a shit show and and wanted to and go it's somewhere a shame, else. Right? It shouldn't so. be. It should it be something be. you should be proud of. And I think that's when you look at, like, if you go, if you travel Europe and you meet people who work for the city at any level of the city, even the people who clean the streets in Paris, for example, like, that's a they job. They have pride in it. They have, they have a pride. pride. The people look at that person as someone who's, like, adding ton of value to the city and to the culture. And they put that person on, like, a pedestal in some sense. And maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration. But it's, like, a respected job. Like, you're cleaning the church. The, you're cleaning the set off the side of the church. And that's something that this city needs and respects. Whereas... You know, you, it's kind of like you're a second-class citizen if you do it here. And and I think that that's, uh, you know, it's, it's a it's, cultural thing it's and a mentality thing. I follow some municipal planners on Twitter, and I I find that some of them are, like, actually anti-development. They seem like anti-development. They feel, yeah, they feel like, often you get they that. feel offended that a developer, well, this, this is only zoned for... 15 stories and yeah. you're going for 25 you're trying to ruin the city right like we have determined well, we have determined that this is 15 oh, stories you're, you're, yeah but you're also <laughs> missing something important go to philadelphia it's a pre-zone city okay go to miami again because shout out philly shout out eagles let's go let's go birds <laughs> big, big weekend coming up <laughs> sorry <laughs> and it's all go it's birds. all the zoning allows you to go sky's the limit right toronto is 
the, the, the site-specific zoning usually doesn't match the OP. Now, the reason why they did that was for Section 37 money. Yeah. So that if you rezoned and you went through the rezoning process to match the intent of the official plan, you can yeah. charge for your Section 37 rezoning fees. It was a fee grab. But most cities are not like that. The city puts an overarching policy. It's in play. Go. Yeah. yeah. Is there a zoning board to make sure it looks decent? Yeah. But you don't have to rezone everything and pay all those fees and do all that craziness. Well, imagine someone had like the fortitude or the balls, I'll say, to like actually take the city of Toronto and say, okay, here's the high density nodes. Here's the medium density nodes. Here's the low density nodes. We're going to You never get this. elected. Of course you wouldn't. But I mean, imagine <laughs> how great of a city it would be if we actually had planning based on like the 100-year business plan. We've got planning based on like the 6 to 12, maybe 18-month business plan. It's all about votes. It's all about yeah. the next campaign. And it's completely self-serving to like those individuals. So it's, um, you know, basically what I'm saying is we should, we should become a communist city. We're getting close to our, our thing, but uh, I do want to ask you about acquisitions. You know, you said you'd bought a lot during the pandemic. What's the strategy moving forward? Are you just being cautious, wait and see? Are you seeing any distress deals no, come through? We're in buy mode. Yeah. We are in 100% buy mode. Um, the market's great in terms of the future. The future's very bright, very sunny. And um, we're looking for great opportunities all around it. Um, there what do you, is, why do you say that? I mean, you're so, you're so, uh, you're, that, that's a bold statement. I don't think everybody's saying that. That what? Ah, it's just like, it's a great time to buy. Great buying opportunities. There's, there's not a lot of land transactions going on. I don't know if like landowners or the vendors have realized that their real estate has dropped in 20% value, but obviously you're seeing that. I'm just, um, I'm just like, it's, it's a, it's, I'm not disagreeing with you, but it's, it's definitely not like the sentiment across the board. So I'll tell you, um, I'm glad to hear that, by the way. I'm very glad to hear that because anyone who's going and taking a loan right now to buy a piece of land, the loans are very expensive very, yeah. and that's not a really good thing to do. But in terms of being able to create seller financings, there's quite a bit of that on the market. A lot of people saying, you know what, I'll finance it for a year or two if I can keep the price, right? And if you look at the price of a piece of real estate and the overall cap stack in a large project, whether it's this way or that way a little bit, isn't going to kill it. It's more the interest rates and the cash flow to get there. So the long-term prognosis of Toronto is there's not enough homes. For all the reasons we stayed in the last hour and a half, there's going to be very little chance of the city ever fixing itself in terms of creating enough supply. There's also no purpose-built rentals because the interest rates are too high, so those metrics don't work. That means that supply is going to get very restricted. It is, yeah. Yeah, so we have some pent-up demand because people didn't launch for the last six months, and you'll have 2023 launches or whatever. But let's just be honest, 2024, there ain't going to be that many launches. And it's just going to get less and less and less because there's not that much purpose-built rental either. So you're talking about less and less supply in this market that needs it. That's great. Stupid thing, closing off to foreign buyers. They have to open that up. I mean, that's just silly. It doesn't help anybody. It's just a... It's a gimmick. But the overall market of Toronto, you probably won't be able to afford a home here. And that's not a bad thing. That means that Toronto is a real city. Love it. Yeah, I don't. I actually don't mind that them, that them putting in empty homes taxes, foreign homes taxes. And of all course these. not. You voted for Trudeau. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why is because they're all stupid things that are not going to do anything. And as soon as, the sooner that they put them in and they don't do anything, then they realize that supply is the thing that they need to fix. Trial and there. Trial and there. Let's uh, segue into the old uh, rapid fire here. Rapid you know, fire. we're trying to keep these... Uh, so rapid fire is basically we just hit you with like 10, 10 quick questions, you know, four okay. or five words. Married, three response. kids. Yeah. Thanks well. anyways. Socks okay. or no socks, briefs or boxers. No, just kidding. Okay. What worries you more? 
a recession or inflation? Inflation. Oh, interesting. Um, we kind of answered this one, but we'll, we'll get it officially on the re- record. Are you expecting construction costs to go down this year? Stabilize. If you were to give Ford's Bill 23 a letter grade, what would it be? B plus to A minus. True or false, there are families that want to buy pre-construction three-bedroom units at the going market rate. Three bedrooms are tough. I mean, you have a lot of kids for three bedrooms. Mm. I don't know about that. Three bedrooms is stupidity at the city institutes, thinking that that's what makes it make sense. It's not. Market factors do. Start, bench, cut. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. What's the question? <laughs> Am I 100? Am I 75? It's a sports like, analogy. Like, it's a sports who analogy. would you want to start? Who would you want to put on your bench? And who would you want to cut from your team? So who do you like? Who's like mediocre? And who are you going to get rid of? Between well, there's, Facebook, there's Twitter, no. <laughs> Between Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Oh. Um, so Facebook is, is does really well in our Caribbean markets. But in our Toronto markets, it's still Instagram is still number one in terms of where we're going. Wow. Twitter, I don't know. Twitter is just like... Twitter's a lost soul these days. Yeah. I was actually always. You know what's interesting? Because Ben follows a lot of people on Twitter. Oh, really? Yeah. It's good for his age group. (laughs) (laughs) I was out for dinner with my neighbor the other day, and she said Instagram's dead. It's over. Oh, really? Yeah, Instagram is something in the past. TikTok is faster. It's more intuitive. It's got, you can, you can. And it's Chinese. Look at that. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. all the rage. Yeah. But it's fun, though. No, it's good. She said it's the only thing she uses now. Yeah, Instagram's I, dead. I'm still on dial-up internet, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's a good one. Who's who's the smarter Fenton, Barry or Shelly? Oh, I don't really know Shelly, so I'm gonna go with Barry any day of the week. Any day of the week, yeah, yeah. that's the same. Barry taught me a lot of my my what I do. Yeah. I have to be honest, I worked for him, loved working for him, and I learned a lot from him. Yeah, we uh, we, we actually discussed him a little bit weeks. We had uh, I had uh, Christopher Wine on the show yeah. uh, a couple of times ago. He's a super smart guy, and and uh, and 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 Barry was on BNN. I don't know, maybe seven or eight years ago, and he said, "Oh, within two years, pricing is going to go up two hundred fifty dollars per billable foot, right? Uh, revenue." And I was like, "Oh, come on, Barry. I mean, we're all bullish, but that's a little crazy." And it literally, exactly in two two years, it it hit that number. So he was like, "Bang." on and uh and all the housing bears were giving him a hard time and he freaking nailed it so, so for all your sales consultant needs call barry fenton <laughs> yeah. the best part about that rant was that usually it's me who goes on the rant during the rapid fire yeah, and sorry. gives me grief and now he's here telling us <laughs> sorry it was a two paragraph stories two anyways paragraphs. i got another one for you this is a good one i'm actually really curious to see see what you have to say here is there a developer in the gta and the gta these days okay gta is not just toronto it's you know yeah, it's the great greater toronto greater toronto area that you keep an eye on, someone you think is really doing outstanding work. Oh, there's a lot of them, but not in the GTA in Toronto. Who? Well, I'm not telling you. <laughs> but there's some very impressive guys out there that I've been seeing like, that like, are, are like, rising, rising the ranks. I mean, there are guys like Matt Young who've come out and with Republic and have done some amazing things that I've never thought. Um, I saw Parallax come out with some interesting projects that was really impressive. Block Developments, um, Ryan Fenton has done some amazing things. There's a lot of young blood out there. Harlow is doing incredible stuff. There's a lot of young blood out there in the market. Um, the good news about uh, development is that we do have a next gen that's very energetic and, and doing quite amazing things. Shout out to Matt Young, fan of the show. Fan of the show. Fan of the show. (laughs) All right. Would you ever go back to eight-foot ceilings? Ah, interesting question. Hmm. Eight-foot ceilings. It's a rapid-fire question. (laughs) Probably not. No. Okay. 
Last question, Ben. It's okay. on you. It's on me? Yeah. Okay. Do you expect the Bank of Canada to hike again in 2023? Mm, maybe quarter point. I don't really think so. I mean, Europe is certainly not slowing down. Um, at some point, someone's going to wake up and say, guys, <laughs> you're going too wrong, too wrong the other way. Just like calm it down. But um, mm, I don't see it. I, honestly, I think we're at the end of the line here. We're close to the end of the line. The question, bigger question is when does the tapering begin? Um, I think that's not so. Yeah. I, I think I agree with that. So, so that's it. We're getting to the, okay, getting yeah. to the end. Can I We're, get my 10 rapid fire questions? <laughs> yeah. Is, it, is this only one way? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah so we've never just, done reciprocal rapid, rapid fire. So. Well, I'm only in for social responsibility. There's equality <laughs> amongst both of us here, right? So best guest on the show. Zev. <laughs> I like this guy. Ben, please answer that. <laughs> Best guess. I don't know. That's it's so many great guests. So many great guests. This has been the most fun I've had in a long time. Okay, that's a very political answer. Okay, number two. Ben, where's condo pricing going in 2023? Uh, up four to five percent. Wow. Wow. I love it. Construction costs. Down five or six percent. Okay. Good. Development charges. Up. Uh, I was going. Yeah, definitely going away. Def, def, definitely <laughs> yeah, out. I'm turning but, to Steve on this. But one. obviously, Bill, Bill 23 <laughs> opening up the green belt. Does the province go and retract it, or oh, do the developers get their land? Steve, let's go. Guys let's are gonna come after them with the pitchforks <laughs> and the torches are out already. If the Toronto Star has anything to do with it, and these left-leaning newspapers. Ford is going to take an absolute crushing if this really if 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 the if the snowball that's rolling down the hill really gets as big as I think it could get. I think its timing was terrible. I think the optics of it was terrible. I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm necessarily against ultimately opening up some of the green belt. Some it should have been a more democratic process because not because it's the right area, or the wrong area, but just to protect his ass. It wasn't a smart move on his part to do it the way he did it, and it exposes him. And I think it, I think it's dangerous. It, it was bad timing because it did it right at the same time as Bill 23. It was dangerous. Which it, I think it, had a lot of good things It was irresponsible. And I think if he wanted to get paid off by the developers, which he's obviously getting paid off by those developers, you should. there's a billion other ways he could have done it. But, hey, it's Canada. It'll be fine. I know. Um, ben, quick question for you. <laughs> Let's do it. I love it. Okay, you rush Ukraine war. When does it end? Or does it end? Uh, I think this is long. I think this is like five, six years. What does that do to commodity prices? Steel, uh, primarily. I think we're going to still have the sanctions on Russia, and it's going to impact oil and impact all the other commodities. What do they make? What is it, zinc there or something? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of commodities that come out of Russia, What does right? it do to the Hamilton housing market is really what you're asking. <laughs> there you go. Okay, 2023. Would you buy in Hamilton? No, I've never been to Hamilton, no? to be honest you with you. You know where it is? Somewhere near, uh, is that the one near Russia or Alaska? One of those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Serbia. I've heard great things about Hamilton, honestly, but I've never really been to Hamilton. To so, be. Yeah. It's a fair answer. And you shouldn't buy real estate or invest in real estate in somewhere that you don't know anything about. Yeah, you have to go never and touch been? every piece of real estate. For sure. You have to. Yeah. Okay. So, so if people <laughs> want to find All Tree Developments online, if they want to find you, where, where do they go? AllTreeDevelopments.com. Ultradevelopments.com. Do they do you, do you TikTok? Do you Instagram? We do, do it all. Know? Okay. Um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, <laughs> all that fun stuff. All right, buddy. Thank you so much for doing <laughs> Thank you very much. This was a lot of fun, guys. Great. All the best. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.